0: Welcome, you're listening to Intentional Conversations from Mika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it does me great pleasure to introduce our guest co-host for today, and it's been quite some time since Vince and I have connected so I really am looking forward to this conversation it's going to be an opportunity for us to catch up, but let me as I normally do share with you his official bio. Vincent S. Pearson, the CEO of VSP for Vincent S. Pearson, Impact Strategies is an award-winning change agent and diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist with more than 10 years experience. Operating at the intersection of sports, diversity and inclusion, and social justice, Vince is passionate about using the power of sports to move society and open hearts, minds, and eyes of both sides of any equation. With a strong belief in sports' unique ability to transcend difference and unite people, it is a unifier, we all know that about sports, Vince focuses on intentionally harnessing that energy to address certain ills in our culture that need genuine attention and understanding. Vince currently supports clients in multiple industries, including education, media, sports, and technology. He is also the founder of the Black Sport Business Academy, a nonprofit focused on enhancing the learning experiences and career outcomes for HBCU students interested in sports. Prior to launching his own DEI impact consulting practice, Vince served in senior diversity and inclusion roles with Bloomberg LP and Minor League Baseball. That's where we met, Minor League Baseball. He also co authored racial and gender report cards during his time with the Institute for Sports and Social Justice. Vince is a proud HBCU graduate and proud new father. To twin babies that are eight months old. And we've, we've talked a lot about those babies because I'm super excited when I encounter people that have twins. I've always thought that it would be fun to have twins. And so Vince is telling me, ah, maybe the fun part is coming soon, but we'll hear from him about that in just a moment. So, in your own way, either through emojis, through expressions into the chat, please, please, please let's help welcome Vince Pi- Pearson to today's conversation. And I'm going to stop sharing my screen so I can spotlight Vince i am so glad you're here. Thank you so very much for being here. And as we always do, and I think I prepared you for this, we've read your bio, we know your accolades, your credentials, and kind of the lens in which you show up to this work. But help us to know a bit more about you, Vince. And so I want you to greet this audience in your own way. And specifically, you have to share something with us that we don't know about you just from reading your bio. So give us some inside scoop.
1: Well, Mika, thank you so much for having me. Um, just, just seeing the faces on screen and even the folks, you know, filling the chat with where we are. It just feels so good to be back in community with people, even virtually. Um, I feel like it's been a while since I've been amongst the subject matter experts, the doers in this space um, in a way that allows us to connect. So, so thank you for having me. Um, A bit about myself. I mean, we got to talk a little bit about being born and raised in in Roanoke, Virginia, which is to me always been a small town. Um, Really, uh, and we'll talk a bit about this in the conversation, my my love, my passion for this space has come in a very organic way. Um, Sports is something that I've always done, I've always played, and then people is something that I feel like I've always been able to um, uniquely connect uh, and so paying attention, I think that there was like a natural evolution to my, my calling in a space of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and then, you know, you start to build the skills because, you know, I personally think the passion can get you, but so far um, when it comes to strategically advocating for change. Um, fun fact, maybe not so fun fact, but some you wouldn't know by just looking um we my family is on the mend from COVID uh I couldn't come up with anything better Nika so this time we were supposed to have our prep call last week wasn't able to do it because COVID had me down bad um so I you know I guess we'll use this as an opportunity it is still out there it is still real protect yourselves. protect your families uh but I am happy to report that we are doing much better uh the babies did catch COVID but they are also doing much better Uh, There's nothing worse than a sick baby. That's right. But we're happy to report that we're doing better and, and happy to even continue to report that this is giving me even more energy coming out of that. So thank you.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. Thanks so much. I'm glad the babies are doing better. Glad that the whole house is on the mend. And yes, that this is a great opportunity to remind us all to stay vigilant because it is still out there, right? Still impacting us. Um, in fact, I just saw recently where they are, um, the government is now providing some additional home tests. And so if you haven't seen that communication yet, make sure you look for it and you you get your, your home test sent to you so they're readily available. Um, you mentioned the word passion just a moment. I'm going to go and it just it struck me because I am with you and this audience knows I say oftentimes that really being effective in this space it can't just be about passion alone we have to align both will and skills so I'm with you on that that very much resonated um, we are going to be bringing in a lot of the the comments and the sentiments that are going to be shared into the chat so I just want to remind this audience that if something comes up for you that resonates certainly make sure you take it to the chat and if a resource surfaces that you feel like would be of value to this entire podcast community please share those resources as well and you're getting some love, by the way, for your art. We see that you're a Tupac fan. Um, and let's see, and is that Kobe? Who's in the middle?
1: <laughs> in the middle, we've got Nipsey Hussle. Oh,
0: Nipsey, yes, absolutely. Um, and
1: Kobe, <laughs> Kobe there on my right. But it's, yep. it's funny because growing up in the Virginia, these are three, like, um, gentlemen who've made their names on the West Coast. So on the whole yep. other side of the country. But these are, like, muses for me. And um, uh, a lot of their just knowledge and approach has i feel like influenced even my my approach not just to dni but to life in general so
0: yeah. No. Great. Fantastic. So let's jump right in. So I love the fact that you've carved out this very specific niche where you are connecting um, sports as a again a universal unifier, along with this work of, of social impact. And so talk to us about why do you believe so strongly in the power of connecting those two, and what have you found by um, making that part of your platform and the way in which you like to to do this work.
2: I think that the
1: the origin of that approach for me again comes from my own lived experiences and I grew up playing sports and and playing basketball and I can remember seeing other kids who would like totally ignore or maybe even lash out at their parents right um but when that coach said toe the line um run sprints they would run through a wall for their coach Right. And so there was I remember thinking like there's something there's something powerful here because that kid is going to go home with those parents who they won't listen to. But they'll listen in this space. Um, and as I you know, continue playing and continue living, um, I've been fortunate to meet uh, Dr. Richard Lapchick, who's a mentor, and he talks about the huddle. And, and I'm going to read a direct quote from Dr. Lapchick. He says, once you're in the huddle, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Latino or Asian Native American, Arab, Protestant Catholic, Catholic, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, gay or straight, If you become a rich family or a poor family. You're not gonna win if you don't pull together as a team. Imagine if we took that huddle concept to every sector in America. And so I, I felt like that was a great way to give voice to this, this thought that I had in um, sports. And then it was really uh, confirmed for me with a quote from the late Nelson Mandela, sports has the power to change the world, mm-hmm. has the power to inspire, to unite people in a way that little else does, it is more powerful than government in breaking down racial barriers. Sports is the game of lovers. So to me, it's like, okay, well, if these people, these, these legendary, powerful figures see sport as this powerful space, okay, well, I can check the box for that being true. Um, and so then it's kind of just me paying attention on my own and really just activating for myself um, what was brought out of me through sport. So that, that the power for me was always organic. And then to your point, starting to see the skill and some of the intention with yeah. uh, athletes using their platforms, with sport teams using those platforms. It's like, okay, if we use this for good, we, we can change the world.
0: No, I love that. Those are some great quotes that you shared and I placed into the chat get in the huddle. Yeah, if we all could just kind of navigate to that those sentiments get in the huddle. We all we all belong here and can unite around this one cause. Um I think that would certainly help us to to move the, this work um forward in a more impactful way. Um so, you know, I I I'm I'm intrigued by this conversation because we have a lot a lot of people in general but particularly even in the sports arena, a lot of athletes are now being a voice around these social Com, um, impact issues and I think about um, Simone Biles with the mental health issues mm-hmm. I think about Naomi Osaka which had the same kind of message I think about Colin Kaepernick you know so you know just just share with us your thoughts on um, the importance of these figureheads who have obviously a lot of influence um, of, of speaking out around these really important issues.
1: Yeah I think that's that is such a um, that's, that's typically the first thing that comes to mind when we think about the power of sports is these Powerful figures, these very unique platforms, how they're utilized. and how to utilize. And what we see when they choose to center that, I mean, it, or center social justice issues or topics or conversations um, is often a global conversation that follows. Um, and that's very different from, you know, grassroots activism that oftentimes takes. Um, years to build momentum and the ground swell into something that everyone's paying attention or these very unfortunate tragic events that happen and the world is paying attention and, and looking because of a tragedy um so i think that they're really important um I, I think that and kudos to the athletes who take that step because they oftentimes are sacrificing something if not just their own peace, right it, it, you can experience peace when you just go to work, get your check and go home. But yeah. when you stand up and say, hey, uh, mental health is important and you're not paying enough attention to that. Simone Biles is, is you know, drugged all over Twitter for those types of positions.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so it's not without sacrifice, but um, I think that they're so important, uh, but they are a piece of a puzzle, you know? And I don't think we've ever quite, as a society figured out that puzzle completely. Uh, but I do know that that's just one piece. Um, you know, the, oftentimes athletes have agencies and teams behind right. them working, trying to figure those things out. Uh, but even then, we it, it requires people in power. It requires people in position to continue a conversation to, to do just that. Um, but no, I think it's great to see. It, it's always really encouraging for me. Um, I'm someone who's very pro- athlete like I want to protect athletes when they when they do anything if they choose not to take those positions I even want to protect them right because as an individual you have that choice Uh, but I I love to see it happen I love that it's becoming I think more prominent
0: yeah no I love it too I think I think that it's um, creating a lot of great conversations and spaces that may not have been had just because again it, it is that it is that unifier So for for those of us um, that who may not be just really intrigued and follow, you know, different different sporting, um, have different sporting interests, how how would we see the connection to the power of sports?
1: Um, I think that, well, you know, what I think is interesting in my work, um, I use what's called the intercultural development inventory as an assessment for cultural competence. Uh Uh-huh and oftentimes with executives that leads to conversations around engaging across difference. Yes, absolutely, IDI. And most of the time, I don't keep a statistic on this, so it's anecdotal, but most of the time when we have a conversation around when was your first interaction, you can recall across difference. It's when they started playing sports. Yeah. Um, It's little league it's that that soccer team or the first time they made the baseball team that they started to experience other cultures so sport is it's all around us Mm -hmm. uh, and it's playing a very important role whether we acknowledge that or not right and it doesn't always mean it's it's changing the world in very observable patterns uh, but it can change a perspective and that's just powerful Uh, so to me I think it's it's um, it's recognizing those things, but then also you called out a global conversation on mental health that sparked when Simone Biles and uh, Naomi Osaka and even Ben Simmons to in a certain extent take this yeah. stance and have this conversation, you know, that starts to have ripple effects that has nothing to do with a playing field or competition, right, mm-hmm. uh, mental health. And you know, I guess we could say which came first in this case, but um, it's certainly moved along by these sport figures. So I think we all have something to to gain. Uh, by paying attention to what's happening in the sports space.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So as we talk about what's happening in the sports space, some big news recently surfaced that I think we all should celebrate. And I'm looking at the message on your shirt. It says, bet on women. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts about the news related to Sandra? And just share the news with this audience and just give your your sentiments around um, what do you think that means?
1: Absolutely. So uh, for those who don't know, Sandra uh, Douglas Morgan was recently named a uh, president of the Las Vegas Raiders, and she is the first Black woman to ever hold that title of an NFL team. And so, bet on women. This shirt is uh, was part of a an advocacy movement for the WNBA uh, three years ago or so. But I thought how fitting in Vegas um, yeah. <laughs> this woman takes. See, so I went to I went to change and put the shirt on to to give her that. Oh, I think it's great to see. You know, and I had conversations with friends who were. I'm a little more cynical and say, these sort of representation plays don't necessarily move the needle for me anymore. And I'm like, that, that's this level of cynicism. I can't tap into Um, one. I'm going to celebrate this woman um, for this, this accomplishment um, because I truly believe when black women, win, we all win, um, if we, if we can really embrace that. And then to see this happen in sports at the same time where, owners like um, Dan Snyder I hate to say it are kind of being put on notice that hey we we're not going to accept this sort of culture you created we're also seeing a woman be put in place to me these are signals of ideally a a true culture shifting Mm -hmm. right because we don't only have the appointment but we also have this um, again this owner being put on notice who's done harm to the culture so I have to allow the optimist in me uh, to celebrate this whole. Yes. So I, I love
0: seeing that too. No, salutes to you. Sandra, it's definitely worth celebrating and bringing to this conversation. So how can DEI practitioners um, use sports to make connections throughout organizations? I mean, let's try to make this practical for those that don't have like the sporting background that you do, but it is a unifier. And I think that a lot of practitioners are being very creative and innovative these days to by all means necessary, how can we bring people along? And so what would you say to someone who, again, is, is not in the center of, of the sports realm, but they're doing this work and, um, they really want to take the, the, the aspects of the, the unifying, you know, uh, concept to the work of DEI.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, for practitioners in the room, part of the challenge, if we're Having a workshop can oftentimes be uh, getting people off, you know, I'll say off the walls to use an analogy, right? To get people engaged, paying attention and actually tapped in. I think sports can be a great way to do that. Um, I used to simply open workshops with, I used to work in minor league baseball, any minor league fans in a room. And I was always shocked at the number of hands that shot up, right? So all of us have to find these, these tricks that work for us to be effective, um, if I think that if sport is not that for you, it's probably best to, to, to leave that on the bench, right? Don't try to force <laughs> in the sport. So
2: huh?
1: <laughs> uh, but if, if it does make sense, I really think that there's uh, a unique way of getting people to lean in once they hear a local sports team or hear of news of a player or someone that they care about. Um, and look, we're already seeing Columbia Fireflies and OKC Dodgers mentioned in the chat. Uh, These are great ways to get people involved, but then also the analogies. Um, I love using sports for the analogies. You look, even as I'm talking now, I'm talking about on the bench. And so these sorts of things to me come naturally. Um, And I think that's where the passion gets to sort of tie into the presentation. Um, But I think that it has to be organic, right? If it's local, depending on what city that you're in, if you can tie in, um a local sports team or local sports e- event um it is certainly when these things happen on a global stage creating space to have that conversation can really get people to lean in um, okay. and start to get folks um, engaged and their eyes open a bit
0: yeah. So what's coming up for me is the need for for practitioners in this space. We have to be creative. You know, creativity is not just for all the other disciplines and roles beyond DEI. We have to make sure that we are finding um, creative ways to to bring people into the conversation. That that's really critical. Um, so I want to move a little bit and I want to talk a little bit about the the Black Sport Business Academy that of course you are the founder of. So tell us about this nonprofit and what purpose does it serve? And um, yeah. Help us, help us to get plugged in.
1: So this is a little, this is like my passion project. This is my baby before I had babies. <laughs> uh, because it really was born of a, an idea that was planted during my time at Virginia State University. Um, so the Black Sport Business Academy uh, exists to connect with students at HBCUs who want to break into the sports world. A big reason that I wanted to do that is because... Uh, And my partner, Curtis Walker, who we actually were roommates at Virginia State.
2: Okay.
0: Uh,
1: But part of the reason we wanted to launch this is because we had been in classrooms as students and as professionals talking to students who want to break into sports and they want to be athletic directors, they want to be agents, and they want to be uh, general managers. And it's like, those are probably not the jobs that you're going to get in sports within the next five years. Uh, great aspirations, but we want you to be able to learn more about this industry and all it has to offer. Uh, But then also, when we think about the resources allocated to our HBCUs, oftentimes that they're not the first being recruited from, and they're not um, always the benefit of a great network of connections to shed light on all these different opportunities. So we wanted the academy to sort of fill that gap. Uh, primarily from an education and engagement standpoint so last fall was our first uh, official cohort we did a pilot program first official cohort we had 28 students from 10 different hbcus go through a 14-week program and now uh, we've got a student who's at monumental sports and entertainment who is uh the washington mystics um and the wizards Uh, We've got a student with the NFL. We've got someone down in New Orleans with the Pelicans and Saints. We've got um, a couple of students at NASCAR. So it's just so great to see these students step up, um, raise their hands for this like very intensive program, and now go on and do great things. Um, Please, if you can, check us out on LinkedIn, check us out. Um, I'll drop the website um, in the chat. It's, it's being built on the backs of myself and my partner at this point in time. We don't have a giving campaign yet, so I'm not here to make those types of requests. But that is, um, it was also born in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to tap 10 different campuses because we did so virtually. We, we did so on this um, sort of platform, right? We use Zoom. And so that was one of the, it's tough to say good things that came out of it. Um,
0: but we have to find uh, the silver lining though
1: yeah right right certainly an opportunity that presented itself and we were able to capitalize and and because of doing so the idea is that these students benefit and that's the big thing right is in the last couple of years we see tons of millions of dollars going to hbcus and my question was how does that change the student experience how does that change the career outcomes uh, for our students. And so that's was like you know rather than waiting, let's let's jump on this passion and, and see what we can make
2: happen.
0: I, I so love um, that this is a passion project for you. And I know that many are benefiting. Um, we have placed into the chat, we have some really good Vodcast um, community members that are quick to the draw. So Mauricio, thank you so much for placing the um, the, the web address for the Black Sport Business Academy as well as the LinkedIn information. Um, and I love the fact that you mentioned hockey. And the reason I say that is because, you know, this is focused on HBCU students. And I know that there are sporting, um, Spaces that we aren't really well represented in, and I and I think that um, introducing um, and trying to bridge that gap where we can is really important. So I'm glad that you're you're making sure that it's not just the traditional football, basketball, but there's some other arenas, sporting arenas that we are we are emphasizing as well. That's that's awesome. So you, you want to talk about the Rooney Rule? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, let's get into the Rooney Rule. <laughs> let
0: to the Rooney Rule, yes. And so, of course, NFL has the Rooney Rule. It passed. Um, so first and foremost, enlighten this audience for those who have not heard about the Rooney Rule. What is it? And then what are the DEI implications for it?
1: So I, I want to invite you, Nika, to stop me when I get too long-winded here, right? <laughs> you started to slide back. That means I'm, I'm in my bag. <laughs> 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 but the, the NFL's Rooney Rule um, was actually inspired by Uh, the team owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers back in I want to say the 50s when he began to advocate for and I thought this language was very interesting because when he was advocating for people of color he called it integration we need to integrate the ranks of our 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 coaches and executives Mm
2: -hmm. and I think
1: that's an important like evolution of the work we do in DNI, right? Yeah. Because once upon right. a time- That was the language
0: then. That Damn was it. the <laughs> language then, yes.
1: Absolutely. And we are on the heels of that. Like our origins exist. That's part of our, and not even the origin story, but that's certainly part of our evolution. Um, so that was, it's named after Dan Rooney because of his advocacy early on. And so in 2003, the NFL adopted what's called the Rooney Rule. Um, and at the time, it was around minority, um, racial minority, people of color, um, coaches getting opportunities. And so the rule required that one person of color be interviewed for every coaching vacancy in the NFL for all 32 teams. And, um, you know, there, much is said about the effectiveness, the genuine. Um, whether or not this rule is genuine but that was the rule and we actually saw i want to say in 2008 or 2009 the most african-american head coaches that the league had ever seen right so we could someone may be able to point and say well the rule seems to have worked and then 10 years later we've got one or two african-american head coaches and it's like well you know what seems to have happened um now recently the rule was amended to include women. And so now women and people of color must be interviewed for every opening. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's no longer just one, right? So not just saying pick one or the other, it's two, right? A woman and at least a woman and at least a person of color.
0: And I think it's important that you said at least.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because it isn't like, it, it's a very and all of us have likely had some experience building strategy. We probably had these sort of checkbox initiatives, and it can come off as that. And we'll talk about um, how we feel about that later. But yeah, it, it's that is the rule. It's a minimum of Yep. and the expansion also challenging to get beyond just uh, head coaching vacancies, but coordinators and GMs and some of the football operations positions. And so now we're seeing an expansion of the roles and expansion of who's who's being prioritized with women being added to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we're also seeing efforts like uh, there was a a symposium of sorts that was held where team owners were actually introduced and did kind of like a speed networking thing with eligible candidates for coaches. Um, And that is you know, sort of breaking, is getting away from a checklist and sort of breaking like into the network of these team owners. And so the, the efforts seem to be piling on. And I think it's, it's always really good to see because um, it certainly could have been a thing that was launched in 2003, seemed to have worked early on, less effective later, and it's swiped and there's some committee put together that's supposed to come up with a better idea.
0: Yeah, a lot um, of criticism really- around it right now, I know. And, and I think it's because to your point, where you start has a lot to do with being informed by what's happening at that time. At that time, all of those minimums felt like, yes, this is a start. We're making progress, right? But now, as, as things are evolving, we have to also evolve some of these policies and these rules to make sure that they still are addressing um, the issues at hand. And so um, great intentions. Mm-hmm. But I I'm I'm glad to know that there is enough pressure out there that's causing a revisitation of, of the Rooney rule. And, and keep in mind, while it started in the NFL, um, as you as well as you know, Vince, now a lot of corporations um started adopting some variation of the Rooney rule for their hiring um, and recruiting practices as well.
1: And that's another reason there to, to sort of keep an eye on industry, right? Because when it happens in sports, it's front page news somewhere, yeah. um, and that can, you know, it's encouraged how others are doing business, even in the DNI space. And a lot of corporations who use that same tactic call it their version of the Rooney Rule, like they don't even yeah. dress it up differently. Um, right. So it's a direct impact of a business practice and sport that has sort of transcended that space.
0: Absolutely. Really important point. It just, again, it just emphasizes the significance of, of the sporting realm and the influence that it has to all other sectors as well. Um, So I'm going to encourage this audience to prepare to get your questions ready. We are going to shift momentarily. I'm going to ask a couple additional questions, then we'll shift. We'll give you an opportunity, and as always, if you're new to this community, we do allow you to unmute yourself. We will spotlight you if you um, desire to present your question or contributions live directly, or if not, and you feel more inclined to share your question in the chat, we are paying close attention to that, and we'll make sure that we present those questions. And so I want to talk about the um, NCAA right now. Some big news, as of last June, um, the board of directors suspended the organization's rules prohibiting athletes from selling the rights to their names, images, and likeness. College athletes could start making money from endorsements. I thought this was huge, by the way. What does this mean for black and brown college athletes?
1: So I have to start with a a funny side story to that because I started my career working in, in college athletics And I worked in compliance, which is directly the rules and regulations. Um, And at the time that I started, this was 2011, so 10 years, 11 years ago, student athletes could have, could be given bagels uh, for breakfast or like a meal or something. Uh, But if you were to give them cream cheese or jelly to put on that bagel, it was a, it was a violation. It was an extra and unnecessary benefit that you had to report to the NCAA. This is how far the NCAA has come in these 11 years, right? Where now student athletes can benefit financially from their name and likeness, which is a draconian and so inequitable rule that I Mm. think look back in 20 years and be disgusted with a society that ever existed like that. Um, Now that I've gotten my personal uh, feelings about that out, (laughs) um, it it, it really is an evolution. And I think what we're going to see, what what we have to remember is that the great majority of college athletes are not in position to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. This rule existed to police a very um, the, a very visible subset, but a very small subset of the population okay. of student athletes. Right. Um, that being said, because of the visibility um, and because of oftentimes the makeup of that subset, uh, there's a lot of questions around equity and, and obviously our history yep. and, and, and unpaid labor. And we see dude, just we just saw USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten, which is still like mind blowing for a lot of people. But all of these athletic departments and whole universities are jockeying for position and it's a money game. Right. And so everybody's playing this money game except for the people who are on the court playing the actual game. Um, And so, and in a lot of ways, they still cannot benefit. They can't get their maximum value because they can't necessarily be paid to play. They can be paid for their likeness and things like autographs or endorsements. But opening that door is, and we've seen, it's been a bit of opening Pandora's box, yeah. um, in the Wild West, and nobody knows what's coming and everybody's hiring now, like nil directors, name, image, likeness. Uh, but what I love about it is the power has shifted a bit. Um, mm-hmm. The power in who's calling the shots, who's being prioritized, who benefits, who gets to win financially at the end of the equation has shifted completely and i think that opens the door for i mean in a four-year college career you may never go pro but you could still set yourself up to take care of a family for the next five to seven years and that's life-changing for people so i'm i'm i think it's a great win for society um the power never relinquishes power voluntarily so we're gonna see i think some push and pull Um, but I'm, I'm really hopeful for what this does specifically for student athletes at at our HBCUs. I'm sorry to continue to beat that, um, horn, but I think there's going to be a very unique marketing opportunity there that some organizations are going to step into with, you know, with a lot of, again, life-changing money to support students and student athletes.
0: Yeah, no. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so one more question, then I will open it up. Again, you can use the raise hand feature or you can um, share your question into the chat and I will present it on your behalf. But we do love the opportunity to spotlight uh, members of our, our broadcast community. Um, so I want us to learn a little bit more about VSP impact strategies. Um, you know, what led you to launching your own company? You touched on this a little bit before, but I want you to go a little bit more in depth about the type of, of projects that you help support clients through. Um, give us a little bit of additional insight into VSP.
1: Absolutely. So my, it's very interesting. I was, it was born out of need a little bit. Um, So I left Bloomberg after about a year in February of 2020. Um, We sort of talked about the passion and the skill. And I recognized that at Bloomberg, I was so devoid of passion that I needed a change. Just unfortunate that I left right before covid hit the entire world and yeah. uh, not only did job markets freeze sure. completely um, but a lot of budgets had frozen so i was brushing and dusting off my resume at a time where there weren't any jobs no one was hiring um so it's like well what else can i do but um, i've always wanted to have my own consultancy and so now it's kind of like i have no reason or really nothing else to try and do so I, I start, you know, brainstorming, putting together the foundations of what my offer and what my services could be. Um, and a lot of it was around strategic support. Um, but even then, it was just a challenge getting people to pick up the phone, right? Mm-hmm. Because everyone's priority at the time was surviving COVID, um, right. which, you know, went from being a two-week thing to two months to two years now.
0: Two years um, of counting.
1: <laughs> yeah, seriously.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, the beginning of my entrepreneurship journey um, was born of need and very started very slow. Um, and then George Floyd was murdered. Um, and literally the next week, I had my first two clients. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I struggled with that because very, seldom uh, in my own perspective at least can you point to the death of a black man as the reason that you now have food on the table? I
0: know right? sweet. Um, yeah it,
1: and so it was it was a very it was a difficult moment for me and I, I reconciled and worked through it as you know, I truly do believe to see my my work in this space and all of our work in this space as a calling
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, And the idea is that you don't get to choose how you're called. My responsibility is to now with the clients that I get to support, how do I get that to a place of true impact and change? And so that first summer there was there was a lot of listen talk and learn sessions and opening a conversation around racial equity and anti-racism was a big deal. Um, and so that is that that was sort of the origin is it's okay the is a lot of my work was responding to need, right. Uh, what's the need and how can I be the person to provide that, that service? Um, and now having done it for a few years, I can be more intentional and think about things like the academy. Now it's less of what industry suggests as a need and more of me being able to identify what a true need is and how we can position ourselves to be effective and supportive. Uh, so I think that a lot of that for me, and I think that the DNI space can be tricky right? Because if we're not careful, as as entrepreneurs, we can find ourselves doing very meaningless work at a high clip, right? I can do a million unconscious bias trainings and not change a thing for anybody.
2: Right.
1: Um, And and that's not the work that I want to get into. So it was careful for me not to tiptoe into that because it can be lucrative. It can be benefit. It can be, you know, a million workshops at a thousand dollars a pop. And I'm I've had a good year. Uh, But it's being mindful of how we want to define good and how we want to define impact. And that's usually actually where I begin with my clients in discovery. Um, We're working towards impact. How do you define that? And how can I help you define that so that it actually creates change for, um, for, for who even? Who do we want to create change for? So trying to challenge the way that our, our leaders in this space and our executives are thinking about the work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then for me, it's at every opportunity we can, um, trying to make a connection to sport. Um, so projects that I didn't directly support, but I had an opportunity to be, I, I guess, part of the brain trust for were like, um, when the Dallas Mavericks uh, converted um, American Airlines Arena into a polling place for the community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is it seems like such a just novel and easy thing to do but there are a lot of rules regulations and you know tricky strings being pulled to get that right. done um and then similar with the Atlanta Hawks who did the same so trying to find those sorts of opportunities specifically in sports where we can connect the dots and impact our communities um a lot of times and this is something I talk with an organization about. They they have these very high, class, high class partners, um, a Chase Bank, um, a J.P. Morgan type of partner, and then they service a sector of the community that can oftentimes be uh, may not have access to the sorts of financial education that you can now be a middle person to facilitate right. because of your position in the community. So, what if we prioritize that for a season? Mm-hmm. right and it doesn't have to be marketed or something in commercials but what change could that create so it's kind of creating those types of projects um and finding the right partners has really been the biggest thing for me right because uh, it's not um it, it's not every everyone's not there yet in their journey um, right so that's a big part of the work for me
0: Everyone is not there yet in their journey that is so important to remember one of the things you said earlier that I wanted to amplify and I did so in chat is being mindful of how you define good and how you define impact yeah and that resonated with me because we talk a lot at nwc about the difference between activity versus impact right. We can be productive all day doing things, but is it really driving towards impact? And so I love that that's part of the premise of how in which you like to show up and support your clients as well. So I'm going to move to Quabana. Quabana, welcome. I'm going to spotlight you. You have a question. We um, want to give you an opportunity to share with this community. So present your question. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks.
2: Good good to see you. Uh, Good morning, Vincent. Very, very good to meet you. Very appreciative of the information you shared and all the work that you're doing. Uh, I, myself, not not an HBCU alum. My wife is. She's a two-time ASU alum. I've done a lot. I've had a, a decent-sized si- career recruiting at HBCUs and working with HBCUs. Spent a decent amount of time at VSU. Uh, one of my fraternity brothers was also one of the associate provosts. Uh, he and his son both are vsu alum so uh, right. great to uh, be able to work with those so that being said i also put in the chat uh, one of my partners that i work with that does a lot of work with hbcus um, and my question is really around uh, talent acquisition and so my background is talent acquisition and dni and so when i think about the work you're doing and and where there's a big gap and a lot of companies now are saying, well, how can we recruit from, you know, HBCUs? Uh, I think there's different ways of doing that. And in many cases, um, and I know you don't exclusively, do you, you don't exclusively work with HBCUs, right?
1: No, not exclusively,
2: no. And so even with that side of the things, Black students traditionally don't use career services, but that's where all the companies are going. And so they're missing all the black students on campuses. So when we're working with, do you work with large companies to um, kind of use you as a conduit to have those conversations with those athletes around what are the next steps to get this internship or we want you to come work for us because yes, you're an athlete, but you're also a leader, you understand team, you also have a degree that is applicable to the work that we Um, need to be done. So uh, again, my question, my, if I step back and say my question is, how do you partner with uh, talent acquisition professionals to be a conduit to make sure that those black athletes in particular are not missing the boat when it comes to careers outside of athletics?
1: No, that's such a great question. And I appreciate the context. And before I answer that, I want to ask, if you don't mind me asking, what fraternity are you part of? Let's see, so I was—I had a feeling as you started <laughs> to speak. I had a feeling when Friends. you started speaking. I was like, I know a brother when I hear one.
2: Yes,
1: family's in the house. All right, so GZF and then 16, so relatively new, but um, not to to table my excitement a little bit.
0: It's okay. We we we, have, we <laughs> offer space for that. That's totally fine.
1: There's there's almost there's there's two ways I want to answer that because for the talent acquisition professional. It could be a direct connection to the academy where you're in position to connect with these students, right? If it's for the, the head of HR and we can talk talent acquisition strategy, then it might be what I've tried to do with organizations is really build something similar to the academy. I think one of the big gaps with talent acquisition, and this is sort of a, a reimagining of how we do the work, is that we can't only concern ourselves with acquiring the talent. We've got to be willing to develop the talent. Mm -hmm. And so would we be willing to partner with a university and build a six month or a year program that allows us to touch 20 students and maybe we hire three Um, and maybe the other 17 go on to do great things, but they're always going to remember IBM or insert client name here as a big part of my development. Um, I think that's where strategically there's there's going to be uh, a lot of fruit but it's not going to be as much fruit as the labor that it's going to require right it's almost a, a, an equity play to say we're going to build this to support community and then we're also going to hire from it and that's going to be you know a, a effort toward our pipeline but that won't be the biggest um, carrot so to speak but for the TA specifically programs like the academy um, can be very when we're starting to bring in partners this year where we got 14 weeks of the curriculum you own one week and in that week you can talk about um we got three sessions in a week during that week you can talk about the the, the process you can educate on what your company does and, and what you know your sort of space in the sport landscape is um, And then it can be meet, you know, four professionals on a panel to learn a bit about their background. So that's, that's how we're positioning as a sort of a, a, what's the word I'm looking for here, sort of a tactic for the talent acquisition, but on the strategic side, I think it's almost a shift in how do we, what do we prioritize, um, and what are we willing to invest, because I think if if we're willing to invest a bit into the development, then over time, I think, one, we have complete ownership of this process and we start to see the impact be a lot more widespread.
2: Awesome. Great, thank you. I'd love to connect with you. I, I did uh, connect with you on LinkedIn, but I'd love to have further conversation about this. Most
1: definitely, appreciate it brother, good question.
0: Thanks, I yep. appreciate you being here. We also have Lynn roy that has a question. So Lynn roy I'm going to bring you on now and spotlight you. Welcome. Thanks for being here.
3: Thank you for having me. Uh, My question is actually getting into where you were at, but getting into it a little, well, a lot deeper. Um, The uh, university setting when it comes to career services, talent acquisition, building a pipeline, I did that for 20 years in university settings and incorporated DEI within the area that I worked in. When it wasn't called that, when people weren't really doing it, uh, particularly the way we're looking at it today. Um, but since you, you mentioned HPCUs and also kind of your interest in the athletic area, I was curious about if you have and if you have, how effective has it been for you to leverage for D1 schools the, the champs program, also you're also Greek as well as I. Um, have you leveraged, because HPCUs, Greeks really are important. And then the third area that's really important within that, context in terms of HPCUs is the band and then student organization in terms of leadership. Have you leveraged that? I, I would have asked about the career services, but I listened to you um, closely um, and, and, and kind of have some impressions about kind of where you're at with that there. But those three areas there, what do you what do you what do you say? How, how's
1: I think you're definitely I mean that's definitely a, a strong play and and oftentimes what I saw and, and Nika you might remember this with um, a project I can't remember I believe it was Um, it was a South Carolina team but it wasn't Greenville um, but they did a project and they brought in HBCUs and they did they had the band as a part of it and they had a lot of Greek life support as well yeah to your point uh, Lenroy, what we didn't see the connection drawn is a, a continued relationship and something that leads to jobs, right? And and actually uh, pursuing this as something more than an entertainment add-on as something that actually is uh, a pipeline for talent. Um, so I think that we're we're getting there. The there's there's seeds planted there, but you know it's going to take people who are willing to put in the work to connect the dots. Um, so there's fruit for sure, especially student organizations, um, especially things like the band when, you, when we think about um, how prevalent those are. And I, I just attended the Black Sport Business Symposium in Atlanta and they brought in um, the band from one of the local schools. I don't want to say um, I don't want to misspeak and say the wrong school, uh, but that's such a part of the culture like it, it changed the whole opening ceremony because they brought in the band and it was like maybe 12 students, but um, they let them rock it for like 25, 30 minutes and they did. Yeah. Um, so, but I think to get beyond, again, to get beyond the entertainment and, see, and start to build in those young people, the, the leadership, like to take their stories and start to build that into skills. And support them in that process. There are some people in the band who aren't going to realize that they're leaders until four years after they graduate, because they're not being challenged to to think about it in that way. Um, and that's where I think organizations, when they partner in these spaces, can be—we've got to be more intentional. Um, and it has to—you've got to have people who are who are willing, um, right? Who who care and see that benefit, uh, because it's a labor of love in a lot of ways.
3: Can I do a quick follow-up? And I'm, I'm looking at the time as well. I know it's precious. The the other thing was it was said earlier. I believe, said, kind um, of, they're not going to the career services, uh, which is true. And that's where you got to know how to maneuver universities to get to where the students are, because there are faculty members, there are departments, and there are multiple career services within, uh, particularly the larger institutions. But even smaller institutions do the same thing. But you know. I wish you the best on the, the thing that you're doing, because it is a great work to do. I've done similar things at universities without the external person. Um, check out Inroads, roads what they're doing. Um, that'll give you some insight on kind of leveraging, particularly the being able to get compensated for it as well. They have uh-huh. an excellent model.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm familiar with the org, but I could definitely spend some more time
2: researching.
0: Yeah, great. Thanks so much, Limbore. Appreciate the question. I appreciate you being here. I do. I do appreciate the question because it's um, sometimes it's an entry point, right? A lot of those kids you talked about the opportunity in South Carolina. A lot of those kids that were able to be exposed that was their first time even seeing what the possibilities are. And so I know maybe on the surface it feels like, well, how are we now connecting really the the talent, the career-minded you know aspect to this, but that was the entry point to um, to get them to even pay attention, you know? And, and I think for many, it becomes quite effective in that regard. So um, we are almost at the time, but I do have to ask this question because a lot of organizations, particularly practitioners like you and I that are in this space are starting to brace ourselves for um, a recession, right? And we know that historically, um, a lot of the DEI budget is, is first on the chopping block. Um, how are you preparing this? You know, how are you, how are you preparing yourself and, and what do you think um, is going to be the implications um, from a DEI perspective? Um, I would love to just hear your thoughts on that.
1: I, I am um, fortunate and blessed to, to feel as though many of the partners that I've uh, connected with, the work that we do um, will continue. Um, that being said, <laughs> uh, we've got to have we've got to be mindful. And so, one of the things, like the the academy, is not a that's a that's an expense much more than it is uh, something that puts food on the table. But I think that's something that can grow legs of its own. And as it becomes a solution, a talent solution, um, an engagement solution for organizations, could potentially. Um, have its own staying power and partners who keep that afloat um, who connect to the mission specifically. And that's been a big thing for me as well. Um, Nika and I started thinking about this after the summer of 2020 because of a lot of the work that I wound up doing is how do I create things that are not reliant on, um, you know, somebody saying yes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need someone to say yes to do the work that the academy is doing. Um, uh, right. We even as you know a partner of the symposium, we don't necessarily need someone to say yes for that to happen um, because of the community that we service and the way we position the work. We're in position to exist even when um partners don't show up to the table. Um but you know, the idea of a recession is a scary one. Um Again, even having started my work in 2020 sort of realizing how quiet it can be um, when budgets are, are tight. Um, my, my hope is, my expectation is that I position myself to be invaluable enough to the partners I'm working with and the platforms that I'm building um, aren't solely reliant on, uh, again, a partner saying yes. Uh, so that's my hope. <laughs> but. You know, as you said, we're all sort of bracing forward and and I guess it's it's minimizing expenses to the extent that we can so that we uh we are in a position to to thrive through that.
0: I love your optimism. I do share in um, the the sentiments around we have to have hope that we're gonna be able to continue to do the work that we're doing that's so important. Um, And I do think that at least I have seen a shift in the way in which organizations are prioritizing this work. Um, And so I think that for those who are really sincere, they're gonna continue to be able to see um, the work through. which is is promising in many regards. So we have about a minute left. I wanna give you an opportunity to close this out. Um, What else is coming up for you that we have not asked you about today that you're feeling a lot of energy around that maybe you want to leave this audience with?
1: Well, we actually just opened applications for our second cohort for the Academy. Um, So last year, very grassroots, we had 30 applicants. We accepted all of them. We've been, applications been open for a week. We're already at 40. Um, so the momentum has picked up, but please, if you can amplify that message, if you know a young person who might be interested, we love help spreading the word. Um, if I didn't have a chance to, but please let's connect on LinkedIn. I, I I'm telling you, I get so much energy from these conversations. So I'm really happy to continue them. Um, Nika, thank you so much for having me. Um, that is, I think that's it for me. I would, again, the I'm shifting gears a bit to, Full service uh, cohort Black Sport Business Academy mode. Got to build out a curriculum. We got to get our partners involved. Um, We are in the process of uh, securing partners for that uh, for the Academy for this upcoming year. We've got a we've got a case study partner, uh, but we are looking for some content partners. Um, So that is something we're looking at doing over the next two or three months before we launch it to the academy so head down in that mode but i do have time to connect so i'm looking forward to making a lot of new friends after this
0: that is great. Well, we certainly shared your LinkedIn information. Of course, the website's information. Um, it's all into the chat. And so um, Lenroy just posted a question, are you securing sponsors? I'm sure I'm going to speak for him. Even if it's not, I'm sure that money coming his way to support this cause and this mission will be um, well put to use. And so thank you so much for saying yes to our invite. We have enjoyed this time with you. It's been great to reconnect and to catch up wishing you all the best and look forward to um, staying in touch. So thank you to each of you that have joined our podcast community today. We really do appreciate it. If you found this content to be helpful, then please make sure that you share it out with others so that they can catch the replay or even the podcast. Um, And we look forward to seeing you next week and have a great weekend. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye.